The DI Guys Podcast was created to share the best ideas, strategies, and concepts so you can have conversations to help you exponentially grow your DI sales. While they may have lost their hair, they have not lost their minds. Here are the DI Guys, Chris Carlson and Mike Cogdell. This is Chris Carlson, and welcome to this episode of the DI Guys podcast. We hope you had the opportunity to join us for the 2020 DI Summit. It was an amazing event with great presentations. In this episode, we want to replay the underwriting panel that I moderated. We hope you enjoy the replay. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to turn our attention to underwriting, and I'm going to ask uh, Jeff and Mike if they would both uh, go ahead and unlock their screens there's jeff and there's mike oh my goodness uh those are the real stars of the show so what we're going to do now is a, a little a panel discussion and i call it uh, underwriting before during and COVID 19. And, and certainly that the two experts that we have today are knee deep into dealing with these issues uh not only what we're doing today but going forward but i'm also going to ask them a couple of questions about what they were doing before this a pandemic hit us. So with me today is I have Jeff Kruger. Uh, he is the chief underwriter for individual disability for principal and uh, Mike Ash Dulowich with who was the director and chief underwriter IDI for the standard. So gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. And so these two people are obviously at the center of what's going on when it comes to disability insurance underwriting. And all of us have been in this business a while and we know that producers like to bitch and moan about what is or isn't happening with, with the underwriting of disability insurance. And before I ask you guys some questions, I want to make the statement as somebody who's been doing this a long time and has seen the good, bad, and ugly in disability insurance, I would submit that the process of underwriting the disability insurance policy today has probably never been easier uh, in terms of getting the decision, especially with a lot of the simplified rules. The end of the day is if somebody has a pre-existing condition is we can't solve that problem. But what we can do, I have seen in the industry is to be able to get quicker decisions with more accurate information. So I know you guys take a lot of heat day to day and we certainly do uh, appreciate what you do. So here's a question, Jeff, I'm gonna start with you. Um, going back maybe what, eight, 12 weeks, what were your main underwriting initiatives prior to COVID-19? At the principal? I think that's a great question because obviously, as you said, COVID-19 has, has caused us to, to pivot to, in a number of different ways. <clears throat> Our number one uh, item that we were looking at and are still looking at is delivering the questions on our Part B to be available on an online format. So in other words, allowing our client to answer those questions at any time, day or night, online, rather than needing to have a telephone interview. So that is one uh, feature that we hope to release here early June. Uh, another opportunity we had that we've been looking at is uh, we are already studying the protective value of labs and physical measurements. And so the timing of COVID-19, we weren't caught trying to make an adjustment on that. We had already done some studying. And so uh, we had a pretty good amount of knowledge in terms of the protective value that they provide. Uh, third thing we were looking at is just how we can leverage data and predictive analytics into our underwriting decisions. The analogy I like to use is you know, when we had baseball, which I missed dearly, 
Um, we, the major, you saw in the last couple of seasons how Major League Baseball teams were shifting their fielders in almost bizarre slow-pitch softball positions. And that was all because of the data. It was all because the data of the past can predict future results. And we're leveraging that same concept in underwriting decisions. We're identifying all the data that past cases had, and we're leveraging that to predict what the future decision should be. That eventually should lead to faster underwriting, more accurate underwriting, and also um, maybe instant decisioning at some time in the future. So those are the those are three high-level items that we were looking at, Chris, uh, prior to COVID-19 happening. So, Jeff, should I insert the Houston Astros joke into that particular analogy, or should we just you skip that? You should not. You <laughs> should not. There was no, there's no uh, hitting garbage cans involved. So, okay. Mike, uh, uh, it's actually question, analytic what, was, what was the standard doing prior to COVID-19? I, I think one of our uh, primary focus areas uh, has been and really continues to be on that uh, technology and process improvement side. I think, as you mentioned, um, that's that's what's important, and I think there's we're making some strides on improving simplicity, but um, but we're not there yet. So one of our biggest initiatives really has been around a new uh, underwriting uh, workflow and rules engine, or a new underwriting platform that kind of expands our capabilities, uh, shortens the uh, time to our decision, and and really kind of overall improves that customer experience. Uh, and then also we've been working with. Um, Elect piloting electronic health records uh, as well to kind of decrease underwriting times and, and look for other opportunities that can uh, make things easier for our, our distribution partners and to applicants. Great. Mike, I'm going to start with you with this question. What changes have you made to deal with COVID-19? Uh, well, in late March uh, and in April, we uh, implemented several temporary underwriting changes uh, and some administration changes, uh, and that included waiving labs for all ages up to uh, issue amounts of 10,000 for DI, 25,000 for BI, BOE, and a million for buyout. Um, and that's per application, uh, not a total sum with the standard or other carriers. But uh, we've also started uh, expanding our use of, of um, using other sources of information really to help us replace some of those labs and exams uh, or other medical record requirements that we're not able to get due to the business impacts of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, so We've expanded use of electronic health records, uh, and we've brought on some new technologies and tools uh, as well to help kind of bridge that information gap wherever possible. Um, and there's been some other changes too around uh, the benefit increase rider and reducing the, the minimum benefit requirements required to obtain that rider, and then introduce some additional flexibility around the uh, policy delivery period and some other case management practices to facilitate both new business and increase option uh, processing. So Jeff, a lot of changes, but we, we have, sorry, there has been a lot of changes, but uh, we do continue to focus our, on our primary initiative, which is that new underwriting platform. Great. Jeff, how about you? What do you what's the principal doing during this uh, unique time? Now, all the items that Mike mentioned, Chris, uh, and in addition to that, and, and I know that the standard to this as well is extending the grace periods, you know, to reflect the fact that premium payments might be difficult for some of the individuals to, to make. Um, and then obviously we needed to address uh, the fact that dental offices were closed. So what we chose to do is, is at least offer coverage to dentists, even, if, even though their offices were closed, um, by offering our select pro limits as an interim step. That's great. So Jeff, I'm going to stay with you. Um, you know, obviously unique times, 
you have eased some of the, the, the underwriting limits, if you will, simplified. What are you going to do or have you made the determination once we get through to the new normal? Do you, now that the cat is out of the bag or the genie's out of the bottle, is it going to stay or are you going to try to put that bad boy back in? It might be. We'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> That's great as an underwriter, non-committal. You should be an attorney, Jeff. <laughs> um, the, I, the changes we've announced do have an end date at this point. Um, we announced Monday that we're extending them to July 31st, but um, I think as kind of the situation evolves and, and we kind of uh, can evaluate what the uh, impact is on, on underwriting, and um, then we'll kind of look at our guidelines and timeframes uh, moving forward. Great. Well, so Mike, I'll stay with you is um, certainly at some point we're going to get through this is based upon the data and the information that you're seeing with uh, the, the new information that you're getting. How do you forecast underwriting being different after COVID-19, if at all? Um, that's a good question. I think yeah, it's really too early to tell. Um, how this all will impact underwriting. It's certainly going to have an effect, um, but I don't think we really understand what the toll is um, at this point on the economy and, and different industries and uh, how it disrupts, you know, supply chains and people's incomes and, and you know, what it's going to look like as we come out of this, um, how much damage has been done, um, what our new normal looks like. So kind of as we start moving past this and can kind of really evaluate um, what's happening and, and how long we might be in this, I think then we can really fully understand um, what adjustments we need to make to underwriting and how this will really have an impact. I think where we're, we're gonna see the most impact is that it's really facilitated that um, adoption of electronic processes like e-application, um, electronic health records, analytical tools, um, things that I think do have the potential to dramatically uh, improve kind of customer experience going forward. Jeff, same question. What do you see going forward after this? Yeah, I echo Mike's comments. Digital, digital, digital. Um, you know, what, what, what the COVID-19 really did is to facilitate the adoption of electronic capabilities. Our EAP percentage went up from a 25% utilization to 65% here recently. Um, on our life side, uh, their, their business is almost doubling on the term insurance because they have a, a completely digital platform. Um, clearly, that is the opportunity. Erwin talked about the ability to, to meet with 20, 25 clients a day, 18, 20 clients a day versus six to eight a day. Um, <clears throat> I think that is by far and away the biggest impact in terms of the, the underwriting process and the the, the case management process. I also think we do have to pay attention to the fact that there are businesses that have suffered a decrease in income in 2020. And so to just blindly accept 2019 as the income to insure, we, we have to be a little more careful than, than that. So, but we'll be able to work with um, anybody in terms of submitting those kinds of applications and just work with them on, hey, how does 2020 look year to date? What's 2019 look like? What's the, what's the business profile been looking like? So I think we have to be, be mindful of that as well. So Jeff, have you guys had discussions uh, regarding how we're gonna underwrite somebody who maybe had the virus, recovered, and has now gone back to work? Are there any adverse circumstances in underwriting or do we know yet? 
Yeah, the research shows that very little impact, actually. Um, you know, probably a 30-day a, a uh, waiting period relative to, you know, completely recovered to maybe application. Um, unless someone's had a pre-existing condition that really put them at a compromised uh, position, we're finding that most people can make a full recovery from this. There might be some circumstances where there's a a pulmonary residual or a, a cardiac residual, maybe even uh, in some rare instances, some liver in, impact. But overall, we're believing that uh, people can make a, a recovery. And so it's those individuals who are compromised prior, right? If they have a history of hypertension, cardiovascular disease, uh, some sort of respiratory disease, all, all conditions that we would otherwise underwrite anyway, um, so we believe that, needless to say, we want to know about it. We, we want full details. Obviously, if they're hospitalized, that, that represents a, a bigger risk than maybe someone who wasn't hospitalized. But overall, not a big impact going forward from our perspective. And then, Jeff, do you know if you would require any other type of uh, medical procedure or evaluation if they did have it and maybe, you know, you were concerned about a preexisting condition? No, there shouldn't be any additional um, medical procedure or test results that we need. Just medical records will be will be critical, obviously, from either the treat the uh, doctor and or the hospital. And then, Mike, uh, for the standards viewpoint, is it pretty similar to what Principal's doing, or do you have a different take on somebody who might have recovered from COVID nineteen going forward? Uh, it's pretty similar. I think you know we're seeing most people are recovering fine without complications. So uh, once we've had a month or so uh, with that full recovery, then then we're usually in good shape there. Um, and of course, with the people, uh, individuals who are being hospitalized, usually there is that pre-existing condition, which may have been an issue anyway for underwriting. Um, but certainly, we're going to be looking closer at those uh, individuals for those, you know, the cardiac and lung issues that were mentioned, but um, also the potential for, you know, uh, mental health effects that the hospitalization could have had, uh, PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety, things like that. So, so I know that both of you are not the the lead person, if you will, within your company regarding guaranteed standard issue type offers. But I would like to ask, maybe anecdotally, what discussions you've had internally, if there's been any changes, you know, in terms of these GSI offers, you know, going forward in the light of the COVID nineteen. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Um. You know, we still think the the long-term output look for GSI is positive, but there's certainly been um, some immediate impacts to uh, new sales. Uh, I think, you know, new new case growth has slowed quite a bit um, because employers are obviously concerned about uh, keeping existing benefits intact rather than uh, trying to change or add new new executive benefits. So um, there has certainly been, a, I think, a, an impact on the the sales side. Uh, and it's just something that we're going to keep monitoring um, as we go forward. Right. Jeff? Yeah, I've, I've spoke with Mark Kinback, our GSI underwriter, and, and he really um, doesn't see it impacting his his GSI offers significantly. We have a well-diversified block of business. We don't do a lot of work, uh, a lot of GSI in the medical space necessarily. And so um, other than the impact, obviously, on employers being willing to uh, buy the purchase the coverage right now, depending on their circumstances, he, he really, really hasn't impacted his offers uh, thus far. So my next question uh, for the two of you is kind of what you have to deal with day to day. What impact has it been on 
your underwriters in your workflow with, I guess, the vast majority of people working from home? Is it been good, bad, indifferent? Just maybe tell us a, a story or two of, of how it's impacting what you're doing. Jeff, I'll start with you. Yeah, overall, we made the transition seamlessly uh, without a whole lot of hiccups. We we did have a couple scenarios where internet you know, service maybe wasn't great here in Iowa. Um, they lived in you know in a rural setting. Our our company was able to provide a hotspot for those individuals, and they're back up and running very quickly. Uh, we do have uh, underwriters across the country, so we are already used to um, a significant section of our of our team uh, working remotely. Um, <clears throat> probably my biggest concern as a veteran underwriter is for the younger or newer underwriters, the ability to have those casual conversations in the hallway, over the wall, uh, listen in on a phone call, a difficult phone call that a John Kibbers might have with somebody and, and learn from that, that, you know, that conversation, et cetera, that, um, you know, that we're not having. So overall transition has been fantastic. Productivity has been great. Uh, We're really actually keeping up very, very well. Very few service complaints, if any. So actually feel real good about that in terms of our response. But again, uh, long-term, I do want to see, you know, us able to get back into the office and in the circumstances. Jeff Hanneman has done a great job of pulling people together um, on a daily basis so that, the team can huddle around any any concerns that they might have, questions that they have, et cetera. So uh, overall, very, very pleased. Great. Mike, how about you guys? Uh, similar for us, uh, there was a, a good portion, probably most of our underwriters uh, worked remotely beforehand, uh, including case managers at least uh, one day a week, if not full-time. Uh, so we were pretty, pretty much ready to go uh, once this all hit. Uh, so there really hasn't been much of an impact on our internal processes. Uh, I do echo Jeff's comments that uh, I think you do miss that, uh, especially for the newer underwriters, that that ability to kind of talk over the wall and and discuss a case is is missing. But um, I think think we're lucky that we have tools like Microsoft Teams and Zoom and and these sorts of things to kind of help the team stay connected. And so uh, I definitely enjoy at, Every morning at 9.30, our team gets together and uh, on a team's call, and there's nine faces always, uh, at least nine faces showing at a time uh, with everybody got their webcam on. So it does at least help us uh, kind of feel connected in that sense. And and then we have the opportunity to, to talk through some of these difficult situations that are coming up as a result of COVID. Great. Well, the next question is, is not a COVID-19 related question. So I want to take you back about Imagine I was asking you this question 90 days ago, okay? And here's my question. What has been the biggest impact or impacts on individual disability under insurance underwriting over the last three years? Mike, I'll start with you. It's, I, I believe it's just customer expectations really around that speed and simplicity. Um, and so, you know, as a result, we've made some greater investments in, in those tools and technologies that will help facilitate that, that movement towards those uh, expectations. But I really think it's, it's the customer expectation for, for improving the process. Right. Jeff, how about you? What, what were, what were you guys, what have you seen over the last three years? Well, I think the, the ability to implement the resident limits where we're not requiring labs or measurements for, uh, you know, physician residents, um, the ability to, um, you know, implement the RX checks, the human API, um, 
I echo Mike's comment regarding consumer expectations. And I told the underwriters, um, you know, 90 days ago or so, you know, from a customer experience perspective, meaning the end customer, the underwriters actually poke the customer in the eye the most, right? Because we're the ones requiring an exclusion on the case at times. We're the ones telling them they're not perfect. And I think we need to do a better job of partnering with our, our friends in the field who to be able to help sell those scenarios. Uh, we have a statistic that that 65% of our business uh, have, has been sold by someone who's only submitted one or two applications in a year. So there's not necessarily that expertise anymore that exists in the field to sell an exclusion. And we as underwriters have to be better at partnering and positioning them for that. So had a lot of brainstorming ideas around that, which have been stalled a little bit due to COVID. Uh, we've modernized our training. Uh, this We just recently uh, launched an underwriter uh, here recently, and um, his training was cut back by four weeks and, and at half half a day versus a full day because we're modernizing it with brain sharks and with video training and with, with modular training, which has, has really been a step forward. And the last thing I would say is that, you know, medical, uh, there are medical advances all the time. You know, not that long ago, hepatitis C was completely uninsurable. Now, if someone completely clears the virus, it's insurable. Uh, sleep apnea is treated much more favorably today than it was a few years ago. So there continues to be medical advances across the board that uh, that allow us to make better, more aggressive offers and to continue to to decrease that decline rate, which is which is already pretty low. So... All right, so now I'm going to go 180 for you guys. Let's talk about the next three years. What are the biggest changes do you think that we're going to see in DI underwriting in the next three years? Jeff, I'll start with you. Yeah, Mike hit on it. Uh, it's simplification of the process, simplification of the product, making it easier to purchase uh, for the end consumer. Um, it's, it's leveraging the data and predictive analytics to at some point offer some instant decisioning on at least a segment of our business. Um, I, I think we um, we have to figure out a way to to remove the homework items. Those homework items are are items like getting examined uh, and having labs drawn, income verification. Uh, can we build a model that that tells us who we should get income verification from and who we shouldn't? Um, you know, there's there's opportunity to um, think about what if every what if this, what if electronic health records could be the starting point in the underwriting process and then the application is abbreviated from today's application because we already know a lot of what the medical history is and, and what does that mean from a futuristic perspective. Finally, I think, I think clients and, and, um, and their, their, uh, their partners in the field are going to be uh, looking for some sort of tracking uh, around where that client, where that application is in the process, whether you want to call it a pizza tracker or something of that nature. I think there's going to be more of that, uh, that need at the consumer level um, to, to keep them updated uh, in real time and, and take that pressure off our, our producers in providing that update. Jeff, let me ask you one further question on that. How challenging is it um, to be able to, to go faster in the underwriting process with all the, the analytics and the AI on a, what I would call a very, very, very rich product. Um, is that an impediment? And if so, does that mean that maybe going forward, there might be a different type of product as an alternative to make that process go faster? 
It does make a difference, uh, Chris. I think that's an insightful question. I think with how, as you say, rich or, or robust the product is with residual benefit, uh, you know, uh, different definitions of disability, you know, if, if, if we stay with just that product, um, we need to make sure that any kind of algorithm, any kind of underwriting engine reflects the same underwriting as we used to do because our experience reflects that kind of underwriting. If we start simplifying the product for, for what I would say, maybe it's that first time buyer space, that space that, uh, that millennial with money and the generation after them who, who want, who, who need disability coverage and who we maybe aren't penetrating like we are today. Uh, with with the dental doctor dental and and attorney space, um, it might need to be uh, drawn back and, and allow that that engine to be a little more robust and allow more to go straight through. So, that, that's a great question. Great, thanks for that. And then, Mike, what about uh, the biggest challenges uh, for the next three years in individual DI underwriting? The biggest, the biggest challenge. Changes, oh, the biggest the biggest changes. Um, I think. Uh, really does go back to that whole adoption of, of new technologies and these uh, new ways, these data analytics and um, new ways to help facilitate the, the underwriting process and the auto decisioning. Um, I think I think it's also important that, you know, you, you talk about the product being rich and it is, and it's something we have to be mindful of, um, but we also need to be mindful of, of that we're using tools that we can explain. Um, so, uh, if we're using these data analytics and we're making decisions or helping to facilitate uh, certain actions, we need be, we need to be able to explain to you, the distribution partner, uh, what it is we're doing and, and why the outcome is the way it is. So um, I think there will be quite a few changes in the next few years, um, and I think I think really it's all been accelerated as a result of the of the situation we're in. So. Yeah, and, and I think that everybody who is attending this uh, DI Summit would, would like it to be faster. Um, and Jeff, you said something earlier that I think that one of the reasons why we put together this summit is it, you made the comment about, you know, selling that waiver, selling that rating, you know, when there's something there is unfortunately as an industry for lots of different reasons, we're not having the producer training that we would ideally like to make it uh, better for not only the carrier, but for the advisor, but also for the end user. And I think we all have to agree if there's no such thing as an easy button, no matter how much AI we get, what the product looks like, somebody still has to go out there and have a conversation, especially with disability insurance. And I know both of you, well, Jeff, I, I know you talk to your brother on the life side. Uh, you know, uh, selling dis uh, life insurance over the internet is a different vehicle than disability insurance. Uh, not that it's easy to do there, but it certainly is, is different. I'm going to ask you guys for some closing comments before I do. I'm just going to ask my co-host, Mike Coggle, to maybe jump back on here. Uh, I didn't know if he had any questions for either one of you because he is obviously uh, very insightful of what's going on in the underwriting world. So, Mike, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask our esteemed colleagues today? First, once again, thank you for already making this a success. Um, the world we live in, I think this will be at some level, Chris and I will probably say that at the end, this could be the future of some of our seminars because it's a lot less expensive to do this than it is to stay at a hotel for two or three days. I know Jeff fairly well, Mike not so much, but uh, we have a lot of fun when we go to hotels, Jeff, and like to sit around and have a cocktail or two and catch up. But that being said, the future of underwriting for both of you, 
do you see, and I'm going to reiterate what Chris probably already said, in the more near future, not distant future, a product that is still decent, but more of a just pure lever pulling product. Like with the benefit of man, I'll shoot an example and just tell me your thoughts. It's a little bit out of the underwriting scope, but it's not. Say 5,000, um, 60 or 90 days, and 2H65 as an example. Of course, it has maybe a residual or a partial, however you would want to put that. And we can get it done as fast as we do um, accelerated underwriting, which I'm familiar with the principle on the life side. Do you see that right around the corner? Or is that three, four, five years in the making? Uh, I can start, yeah. uh, Mike. Sure. Um, yeah, the I think it's a chicken or egg kind of a question. Um, if we at the principle believe that there's a tremendous desire and opportunity to sell that product, um, as you described, we absolutely believe that that's capable of being done. And the way products are designed, they're modular, and you can, you can probably do that without a whole lot of filing and or regulatory input. Um, I think the challenge is, is do we think it can be sold, right? Do we think there's, there's places where, uh, and markets where people are focusing and concentrating where they believe that that is a, a great opportunity, whether it's partnership with, with registered investment advisors or whether it's, you know, a broker's broker kind of approach or whether it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's someone who is developing their own website that really uh, attracts and markets to the, the generation or, or the buyers that really are interested in that. So I think, um, I think, I think it's a chicken or egg kind of thing. It absolutely would allow for acceleration of the accelerating underwriting effort. There's no doubt about it. Mike, standard. It's not something I see, you know, right around the corner. Um, I think there are opportunities out there to um, work with the products we have and, and do things. I think that would be uh, beneficial to our distribution partners um, with what we currently offer or the, with the richness of product we currently offer, but certainly we'll keep evaluating um, those offer, offerings and, and and make decisions about that kind of as we move forward and, and out of this and um, see how we can use technology in new ways um, along with our distribution partners. Great. Thank you. The only other question I would have, you may not have the answer, uh, both of you, this kind of is in relation to what we are discussing here for two minutes. What's the average age of a not? We always talk about the average age of the producer. What's the average age of the consumer buying the product today? Do you, do you guys, either one of you, have any idea? I know it could be if they're 20 and 50, it, you know, it becomes 35 or whatever. But do you have any idea what the average age is or the approximate age, where, where we're trending in that direction? Go ahead, Mike, and then you, Jeff. Sure. I think in the uh, early 40s. Uh, tends to be the, and of course, uh, more male, <laughs> given the rate structures. Thank you. Jeff? Yeah, for us, for us, it depends on the segment. So the medical dental segment, obviously, low 30s, upper 20s, uh, significant amount of business coming from there. And then I think for the non-medical business, it's probably the mid 40 range. Do you think quickly, the discussion we've already had today, and I will stop here, is 
now that the world fully understands, and I think the entire world understands that we do not have the crystal ball anywhere, that this will have an impact on how people feel about things being at risk and how long it will last. And I've said over and over, you know, some of us still talk about 9-11. I do, like it happened yesterday. And there are kids that are in college now that weren't even born when it happened. So do you think this will just continue to permeate for a very, very long period of time on people's awareness of not just our product, but of the entire, as I say, risk protection package, insurance aspect of our industry for a long time to come? Mike, I've got it. Mike, I've got a 29-year-old daughter who has pushed me off when I've talked to her about buying disability income protection. And uh, if she if she says today what she has told me in the past that we don't need it, um, I'll laugh at her uh, because you know after COVID-19, how can she not think that that this can impact it, anybody and everybody? Thank you. That's a good answer. <laughs> Yeah, I think I certainly think this is going to permeate for it's going to be on our minds front and center for years to come, really. Um, and I think that will translate into more individuals kind of understanding what the benefits are for of uh, of risk protection, paycheck protection, really. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both. We really appreciate you today. Chris, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, yeah uh, Mike and Jeff, awesome job. You're, thanks for the insights into what's going on kind of behind the curtain and and we know that there's there's more to come and there's going to be some you know good things a lot of good things are going to come out of all this there's going to be some challenging things but your insight is really helpful to these true uh people who have joined us today the true di professionals so thank you very much you bet and if you don't mind chris i just want to make a couple closing comments first of all i just want to thank everybody for their dedication and their willingness to 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 be told no in order to protect families for their hopes and dreams. I think uh, I started in this business over 30 years ago and, and what really has kept me in the business is working with, with people like you um, and, and having that relationship and recognizing that you're, you're on the front lines uh, looking to protect families all day, every day. And, and we really, and I really appreciate that. And, uh, and it, it's what drives me every single day. So thank you. Mike, any closing comments? Mike from Standard. Yeah, I just wanted to, um, you know, thank you all for having me. Um, I think uh, I appreciate that you have these uh, opportunities to uh, teach people more about disability insurance. Um, I've been in the business now for uh, 20 years, which isn't long compared to probably a lot of people on this call, um, but I certainly understand what the um, value is of it and uh, appreciate that everything you do in the field to help get that message out. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Mike and Jeff.